Colliding Worlds is sponsored in part by CAMVR, home of the only one jewelry, accessories, and repurposed clothing. You can find us on Facebook at the Unique Jewelry Designs of Angela Valenti Romeo, or on Shopify, or online at angelavalentiromeo.com. Please contact us before making any purchase. Our merchandise changes often, and yes, there's only one. You'll never find yourself coming and going in our designs. AMVR, home of the only one jewelry, accessories, and repurposed clothing. Hey, this is Angela Valenti Romeo, and I've got somebody I have admired for a very long time as a guest today. I'm going to bring on to us right here the very talented James William Moore, who's an artist. He's a curator. I like to think of him as a friend. He's do you ever sleep, man? I mean, like you're always <laughs> really cool. And I'm like, I I feel like a slug, you know. <laughs> I watch what you do. <laughs> It's been a crazy year and I've been saying how I need to take a breath and Jeff has said, you know, do it, do it. And here I am all this, you know, end of the year and I still haven't taken a breath, but yeah, I find time to sleep here and there. <laughs> does, does your poor husband have a little switch that he has to hit you in the back and go downtime, downtime. Down, you know? <laughs> it's more of a filter. He's afraid I'm going to say something and I, <laughs> and I feel his hand on my back. I'm like, Oh, Oh, I get that one too. I get that. It's like you know, and it's always like you want you 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 you're bleeding because you're biting your tongue. It's just it's so hard sometimes. <laughs> yes. So let's introduce everybody. James is he's he's an artist. You you you're teaching. You're a curator. You're you're doing a lot of things, but the journey wasn't quite a straight path, was it? To no, to where you it wasn't. Know. You know, I, I, I've always had a camera in my hands. Like when I was four, my mom handed me our brownie and sent me out into the backyard because we had moved to a new house and I was underfoot and she needed to unpack the house. And so she just handed me the camera and said, go entertain yourself. So I started exploring with that. And I loved the creativity that would come through. Even as a kid, the things that I would like play with and do with this camera. I loved it. And then, you know, we grow, we start to grow up, we start to become adults, we start to do things. And at that point, I wasn't doing the photography as much. It, it, it kind of fell by the wayside. I started doing some modeling and acting and that kind of put me on the other side of the camera. And I, never really ventured back to it until the early 2000s. But during that time, I'd went from, you know, the entertainment world and fashion world and got into finance world. And those things are just bizarre when you put them together. But here I am in the early 2000s, and I'm feeling like something's missing. Like mm -hmm. I'm a, an old friend, kind of. And so I 
discovered the camera again. I talked to a photographer friend and said, hey, how do I pick one at this point in my life? And so that kind of started it. You know, that's now 23 years ago. And I look at the journey that happened through that and where I'm at now, and it feels like I've gone full circle. Like I'm back to my creative side. Everything else, you know, everything in my life adds to the knowledge that I've gained. It adds to my experiences. But whatever I did previous seems to help with what I'm doing now. And so now that I'm playing artist, I know how to do my accounting. I know how to do my, you know, marketing. I can do these sorts of things and I don't feel like I'm floundering. So I don't regret my resume, but I have to say I love where I'm at right now. It's funny how you, people come back full circle. And I, I always say, when, you know, when you're a kid, they give you that piece of paper and say, okay, go color. And then somewhere down the line, they take it away from you and say, okay, it's time to grow up. And the tagline for the show has always been, we're all born artists and what we do it that shapes our world. And it does. I mean, you go full circle. I feel like I came full circle too. I, I think I, you know, the same deal. It was like practicing law. It was, it was fun, but it was, and I still found myself doing things, but there's, there's something about, artist you can't escape it you can't retire from it it it's it's like it's always there it's just a part of who you are it's a part of your life um it's hard to make it go away and it it's like a siren it just calls you and calls you but it's there's still a business aspect to art you know and, oh and, yeah and people want to forget that part well, and I think, you know, before I jump to that about the business, it, it you mentioned I'm, I'm teaching and I just recently completed my master's degree in fine art. And this year has just been nuts with everything that seems to have fallen my direction with my art and with the idea of having this education now. But I am currently teaching um, at Gavilan College here in California. And... It's interesting because even when I was in the program at San Jose State, it's a teaching program. So I was the teacher of record. I was in the classroom teaching photography. And it's interesting because what you said about, you know, giving that paper to a child, I think we need to give the paper to the adults and the those just coming out of high school sorts of things, because I had students that were not art students. They had to take my class because they needed art credit mm -hmm. for their degree, right? For the general ed requirements. And what began to happen that I was seeing is that these individuals that had been in such structured settings of expectations of parents, expectations of themselves, expectations of society of being successful and now they're sitting in a classroom where I'm telling them art has no rules. And although you may use a formula to do what it is you do every day, I want you outside of that. I want you having the wrong answers. I want you doing these sorts of things. So even in the class that I'm at right now, I had a student who's going after her nursing credential and said that she loved discovering that this could be that piece, right? Mm -hmm. We've given her that sheet paper back. She gets to take her crayons and just create. And it's for her. 
she may not be a photographer professionally, but she now has this artistic avenue that gives her a chance to have a respite from the formula of daily life. And I love that. I absolutely love being able to do that. So I think being a teacher is, is maligned, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, but they're guiding, you're guiding somebody. The thing about art is it's really something that's in all of us. There's not, uh, there's not any part of history that doesn't, wrap itself around this art. We judge past cultures based on their art. We we explore history through art. We find Andy Warhol once said, art is whatever you can get away with. And to a certain extent, he's right. But it's also the legacy that we leave for future generations. And you, me, whoever, whoever deems to call themselves an artist, whether it's professional or whatever, you are leaving history and a legacy for those that come after you. And it's it's a really, a really, really powerful position to be in. And I think it's well, great. And I love the opportunity. Yeah, I love that opportunity. And, and I recognize that. And I appreciate coming into the classroom. I like the position I'm coming from. I'm doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because it makes sense. It's part of the bigger picture of what my plan for my future is. But I'm not looking to be in the institution of education. I just want to be there to help those students find a creative vein inside of them and find out what that actually means. And, you know, too often, you know, we don't see the importance of the arts, but you nailed it. Throughout all eras of history, we've looked at cave drawings, we've looked at the Renaissance, we've looked at the Romanticism period, right? We've looked at all of these things and it tells us historically what's going on, what the anti-culture was, what the culture was. And I think that if we don't give more avenues to today's students, that history is not going to be as cemented as it has been in the past. It'll be written, but not visual. I think uh, <clears throat> there's a whole dilemma that's going on, I think, uh, right now in, in the whole art and entertainment field, pr primarily with artificial intelligence, where I can, I have, there are programs that I can say, go, you know, go draw me this or go do this, and it will do it. And it's not quite the same as you doing it. I mean, there was another old saying about, you know, if you want, if you want to kill a revolution, you get rid of the artists first because they're They're the ones that are going to you know, cause you to stop and think. And, and I think it's, I feel it's a little sad that a lot sad that we, we dismiss our history and in doing so we push aside things that we could learn so much from our music our poetry, the written word, the artistic, and, and arts encompass everything. There's nothing you're going to touch in your life that an artist hasn't touched first. But exactly, why, why, you know, why is it? Why does it become the, you know, the the ugly stepchild of, you know, whatever? And it's, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, I, I look at someone well, like I you think that gets back. <clears throat> I was going to say, I, I look at someone like you too. and you push it. 
you push things. You you you're when we're gonna look at your work and you 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 wanna you wanna be that little grain of sand and that will be the pearl. I mean that's kind of a cool thing and you're not afraid. I mean, I don't see I don't see an ounce of fear in what you do, you know. We, you know, it, it's funny. I got a critique when I was going through the program um, that I was too perfected. And and my advisor who had to tell me this, and it was not his comment, it was of the other professors that were reviewing my work at that stage in going after my MFA candidacy. And it's interesting because I I love that you see me as that that sort of rub that I'm going to push the boundary a little bit. Well, sometimes I push it farther than I probably should, but I have all of these things I've learned, all of these mistakes that I've made, all of these images that didn't come through the way that I wanted them to, and there's something about I have a curated look of what you see when I come out. Like today, I chose what the outfit was going to be specifically. I, you know, the hair's got to be a certain way. My art's the same way. You get to see what I want you to see. And I think some artists that are a little bit wrapped up in the academia of it have an issue with that. In that they want to see the mistakes and it's like, okay, we can have that conversation to the side, but this is the presentation. Where were you when I was going through all of this work? Where were you when I was planning it and designing it and editing it? Cause there are people that see that, but that doesn't mean I have to show every piece to everyone. So when there's an image that comes about like this one, this is alone with Dino from um, my Lonely Palm Springs series. And, you know, it was a crapshoot. I, I, we lucked out that night that nobody was at the bar because <laughs> I've asked people to move. <laughs> <laughs> Buy them a drink, move them to another table. But, you know, the, the service staff that was there was delightful and warm and welcoming, and they clearly weren't busy. But, you know, I'm trying to create a scenario. I'm trying to visually give the story. And you don't need to see the thousand pictures I took to get there. If I'm teaching you how to get there, sure, let's look at them. Because there are lessons. Because I go back to them. But, yeah, I um, I like being polished. I like the finish. And... I think when I present my work, it helps me have a place that someone looks at and goes, oh, yeah, that's a James piece. And that's what oh, I want. Another thing you hit, you said something about you don't have to see all the stuff that came before it. You're, you're presenting in your world and in, in what you're doing is you're presenting what you think is, is the best representation of of the of the effect you're trying to achieve yeah there's lots of steps that go along the way you and i both know that it's like it's like the first thing you do is not perfect mm -mm. the 85th thing you do may not be perfect but then that that 33rd <laughs> thing might have been just the one but you you're not going to know that until you've how many how many artists have canvases 
hundreds of canvases <laughs> that are, they'll never see the light of day. And or have been painted over. Oh my gosh. And that's the coolest part with x-ray. You can find what you can look at the masters and they painted over their work. Yeah. You, it's not about perfection. It's about sometimes about presenting. Sometimes a picture is just a picture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, it's it's so much more, and, and and that's where, and that's where the difference lies. There's a there was a book, and I think it's out of print now called Rape of the Masters. And if you haven't read it, I recommend people to find this book. But it basically it it's about art and art critiquing, and and the premise is sometimes the painter just really painted a guy on a boat with his dog. There's no hidden agenda, but other times <laughs> that there is a hidden agenda, and you have to look at it and. And, and, and that's where, and, 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 that, and this is the other problem you're in, come in with me. If you, you know what, follow my thought a little bit is that sometimes when people go and they look at art and they'll look at like your work or something, someone else is going to tell them what they th- should be seeing. So if they don't see it, they feel stupid and they, you know, they'll, they'll just go, they won't have an opinion or they'll just nod their head like to look not to look like a buffoon. And and I think that's wrong too. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up because it's actually one of those, you know, I'll say that I was a grain of sand to many in the academic world that I came through because there was another one of my cohort and I started this conversation with the full crew of why can't we just make pretty pictures? And, and it was amazing the ruffled feathers that that created within this artist community of, you know, MFA candidates that, that, that no, your art has to have a meaning. Yes and no, because this gets back to now business. If all you are ever doing is making a statement with your art, are you sustaining your viability as an artist because yes we have a voice that we get to use as artists and i love that you know my projected words that has seen so many different um presentations of it against homophobia and and you know just the 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 hatred that can come through from people to another people group but you know, with with this idea of pretty pictures, like this one, this is my newest series, which is entitled um, American Thruple. So, of course, I'm appropriating, which is really big with me, and I'm being as campy as I can possibly get. And I have done American Gothic is American Thruple. And there's an entire series of these that then present mm-hmm. in triptychs, Again, playing with thruple, triple, you know, just that whole idea. And this bugs people because, you know, there's those that are offended by the message. And then there's those that are saying, well, this isn't art because you're, you've appropriated or you have, you know, you're, you're being satirical. And it's like, this is what happens when you put too much weight on art always has to have an opinion. It, it, and sometimes a pretty picture is just a pretty picture and there's no hidden agenda. And sometimes there is something to be said and, and that's, that's fine. There's a place for everything. I mean, they are decorative arts. You want to see an MFA 
student cringe, say the word decorative art, and and I've watched them go, <gasps> and it's like Martha yeah. Stewart or your grandma, and they're going to put doilies on the back of your car. You know, it's, but again, it's, there's a purpose. Art has a purpose, be it useful. Art has a purpose to be decorative. Art has a purpose to say something, to have meaning. And you, you can walk that line. You're, I, I think you don't have to put, put, position yourself into that thing. Now, some artists do. And there's no question about it. And there are some artists that I scratch my head and I go, why? Why? Why are they, why are they getting all this space in a museum or a gallery or any place? And you, you know, you want to talk about derivative art. It's like, whoa, you know, but you, there's a, there's a market for it. And that's the difference. And what I, and I look at you, you, you mentioned appropriation. This is one of my favorite <laughs> all time favorite of your work. And I've seen a lot of work. And I'm going to say, I, I will, tell, I'm going to be completely honest. James gave me a, a, a lot to pick from, but the way the setup is, is you, you're, you're kind of limited sometimes to what you can show. But this to me is you. It's irreverent, <laughs> it's recognizable, and it's clearly you. It, it's, and I, I, I and I and I don't and I don't see sometimes you know you you said you know the word you used was appropriation. I mean, are we appropriating funds for something? Or are we you know we? <laughs> why do you, you know, why do you look at it that way? And I I I I feel that appropriation in art has so been maligned in in the last few decades that you know that. Uh, son of man from Magritte that I, I riffed off of. It. It's, it's so much fun to do and it's commentary. It's like me making, you know, first of all, I did an entire series that I called after that I'm still working on. And so some of my most um, inspirational artists to me, I have taken their themes or their visuals or their styles and recreated it in my own way. And that is what appropriation really should be. This one's from Edward Hopper, my favorite painter. And it's Cape Cod Morning. And I'm doing these sorts of plays to give my nod to the historical relevance of art and those masters that came before me, but taking what they did and making it my own. Because often, is there really an original idea or are we borrowing it from someone, right? This conversation starts. And as long as I come into this conversation, making it abundantly clear that I appropriate, I take something of someone else's and I create it in my own way and make it mine now. I give credit to where it came from. Magritte, Hopper, DeCorsia, you know, Cindy Sherman, all of these artists that I have been inspired by, but I do it my way. I I, I agree with you that that word in 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 context of art kind of gets 
it gets a bad riff, but I also will say to you, it's like, there's a theory about you put 20 monkeys in a room with a typewriter, they're going to type the great American novel. There's only, I, I, I do believe that. I think it will happen. I mean, there's, there's a limited number of notes. I mean, how many ways can you combine them to create music? There's a limited number of, you know, you, you, I may see something for the first time, but I don't, how do I know that somebody 200 years ago painted almost the exact thing? I mean, what, how do you know that? And how do you, you know, it's, it's more about making it your own, making it true to who the artist is. And that is kind of where I think you break away. It's like, yeah, I can look at it and go, I see it's, it's in, what was the word in the style of? In you know, the style I'm not of, sure yeah. who did it in the style of. Well, in, in the style of is one thing, but to take it and twist it is what makes it unique. Well, and, and I, I like being twisted. <laughs> you do. <laughs> no, you do. But but it's funny because you know when when I did my undergrad, so I got my bachelor of fine arts also from San Jose State. And as I was coming to presenting my BFA show, I had decided that I was moving into a new realm of photography. And this is one of the images from it. This is Miss Scarlet in the lounge. And in this series, I recreated all of the rooms of the mansion from the board game Clue. And I created an experience for the viewer to come in and there were 10 different monitors in the gallery that you could move between to play the game. And this interactive immersive sort of experience is what I have really went head first into doing, but I really ruffled feathers when I used the monitors to show these pictures. And I was actually jumped at the opening of a show prior to this, where I was testing monitors to see how they would work. This is one of my favorites. This is Professor Plum in the library. And it's, this individual was aghast that I was using monitors to show a photograph. That's not photography. Why isn't it? Well, honestly, why isn't it? And in the same conversation, as this show came together and was presented, I had my advisor, I had other professors and, and um, art individuals from around San Jose come to me and say, you're doing something new. You're putting us in a world using photography, which has historically been seen as, you know, the past, when you take a picture, it's from a day ago, a week ago, a year ago. But you're putting it onto a TV monitor. And now suddenly, even if there isn't movement, we've been programmed to think that that's live. I'm seeing into a room live as when we watch TV. And these individuals that then kind of inspired me to go even farther with this concept because I haven't made a print in forever. <laughs> Cause it's like, I love this look of on a monitor. It's saturated. It's bright. It's live. It's, it's not in a frame. That's good. I'm, I'm going back to this particular image because there's a lot going on here. 
<laughs> There's a lot going on just in terms of the shadows, you know, the, 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 the light and, and the lack of light, you know, it's, all the details are there. The lawyer's bookcase is there, whatever. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot going on, but it's, it's not overwhelming and you can take well, it in and you can, you can see something. Now, does it challenge you a little bit? Maybe not as much as American Thrupple may challenge you, but it does challenge you in a different way. You know, you, you've got to fill in the gaps. You, you don't have to spoon feed everything to everybody. And, mm -mm. No. And, and, no. And I think it's kind of, I think it's funny that, especially when you think of art schools, that they should be embracing everything. And then they're like, mm, you know, I, yeah. I had a jewelry, yeah. when I was studying jewelry design <laughs> and I had a professor and he was great. Um, Hugh had, he was in his nineties. This man was incredible, but you could go to him and say, I have a chicken bone, a feather, a blue diamond and a piece of cloth. Can we make something with this? And he'd be the first person to say, yes, we can. And, you know, it, it, it was no stopping what you could do. And it was always, well, why can't you? In, in, in my journey as being an artist, I would try to learn everything to figure out when someone would tell me why I can't, there had to be a reason why I can. And, and that comes through with a lot of the work. There's, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't have done that image, but there are sure a hell of a lot more reasons why you should. And, and, and this particular one, bringing going back to this, is controversial on, on so many levels, but at the same time, the image is benign. You have, you have <laughs> a, a, a breathing carbon life form next to two non-breathing carbon, you know, but why why should it why should it upset people why should it why should some people think it's like you know why can't it just be a pretty picture you got nice little flowers you got the whole thing but at the same time it's it's going to offend somebody and and, and you and i both know there are people who just want to be offended just yes. because it's a good thing to yes. say i'm offended you know and but, but why why should it why should an image be like that be threatening to somebody you know, I, I think that's probably why I enjoy playing in the camp realm with my work. And, and you know, I, I, I hate the word triggered, but I do love that it, it, it does that. It seems to find those individuals that want to be offended. And, and my work pulls them in so that they can be more angry. And it's like, I've won. <laughs> <laughs> Because again, right, it is a benign picture. It's me with a shovel and two of my mannequins. I work with mannequins a lot um, and more so when COVID hit because normally with the earlier series, like when you showed um, the ballroom, I have a lot of models that I bring in to shoot with, but COVID hit and it's like, well, shoot, how do I keep making art? and doing what I'm feeling and sharing my experience. Oh, well, I have mannequins. <laughs> Let me mess mannequins with mannequins. I was talking to somebody and, and we were talking about different things that art and it was a movie. And I said, the images reminded me of the, the Victorian book of the dead. Have you ever seen that book? And for those of you who don't know, it was, it was a book published 
of photographs because to take a photograph way back when you had to sit still for a very long time and if you're dead you're really going to sit still for an extremely long time and the victorians would pose the family around the dining table sitting on the sofa and they were perfect photos and everybody loves them until they figure out what they are then they're offended it's <laughs> like why why you know it's i have to say that you do something that Cindy Sherman also does, which you use yourself. You know, you inject yourself into your work. And, and that's kind of like a, I think it's kind of a brave thing because there's no denying whose work it is. You can't hide from it. You, you definitely can't. And what, what was the, that, what was that grain of sand to may say, I, you know, I could be my own model. Well, it, it's funny because I my work has brought up some themes. Loneliness, right? The Lonely Palm Springs that we shared earlier. Um, I did an entire series called Devoid. So it was these experiences of having no emotion whatsoever. And you were in a situation that would be a vibrant celebration of something. And I play with these sorts of ideas and when I would inject myself into the photos, everyone was worried about me. They thought, oh, James is suffering depression and he's putting it into his art and he's doing these things. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm having these conversations with all of these different people that are in my world. And I'm hearing about all of these experiences that all of these people are going through. And they may not be the same, but this gives me inspiration to visually tell a story that somebody else may be going through. And so when I inserted myself into these stories, people really did worry about me. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Really, I'm I good. One, I wasn't one who worried. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. But you and I are kind of weird to begin with. So maybe that's it. <laughs> but but Why you, we get along. <laughs> but but you know, I, I like that you compliment me and that I do this Cindy Sherman-esque thing. And she even talked about this in an interview where it's not her story. It's not her in those pictures. It is these characters that have been created that she steps into no different than if I was on a TV show or in a movie, I'm stepping into a character. And I think because of that background that I had allows me to kind of move in and out of that space without making it my own issue. And I love being able to do this because it gives a different vantage point to a situation that someone may be going through. And if that strikes one person to see a situation differently, then my art's been successful. And if I use me as the subjects in these things, I don't have to ask the potential victim of whatever the situation is, mental health, you know, broken relationships, jobless, homeless, you know, whatever it happens to be, they don't have to expose themselves. I'm not exposing them. I'm becoming a character. And I, I find it very human doing that. I think when you inject yourself into the work like you have, it, it does a couple of things, at least in my perspective. It's you've inserted yourself into a situation which, all about you created, 
but it has a secondary meaning. The other thing that's about it is it 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 takes the impersonal and makes it a little more personal. Um, when I owned a gallery, and what I what I found the biggest one of the biggest surprises I had was watching people look at a piece of art and not know who the artist is, and then suddenly meet the artist, and it changes how they view the work. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. It mm -hmm. it opens up. I've I've been doing these interviews for a while. And we talked earlier. I've done over two thousand of them. And when you start, sometimes when you talk to the artist, I loved it because then I could see what was not on the canvas was not in the image. There was there's all this stuff that's going on that that's not a part of it. But I can now see it because now I have I can relate to an element that person whether they're in like in your case, in the work or talking next to me, you can start to see this is just a small piece of something so much larger. And, and, and I think that when you're able to do that, which you do, it, it's, it's, a, it's a unique and wonderful gift and few people can do it. And, and I'm going to go back to this photo again because there's a whole hell of a lot going on here that's not being seen. And, and that's what makes this a great in my world and it's my show so it's my world can, it's a great image see how i got to be the queen that time did you notice that i love that <laughs> i know awesome. I, you look at this right this is to me this could be any suburban home this could be any any family anywhere you've you've got that you've you've got the garden you've got the neighbors you've got the quaint little house you've got the you know there's so much going on beyond this and that's what makes the images powerful that's what makes you it draws you in and and knowing that you know that that person there you know knowing who he is doesn't necessarily change it for me but it makes it makes the unseen far more visible. And and it, I think that's cool. I, I I love that you're seeing all of these innuendos that come out of something like this. And what I appreciate is that people do they they may see me in the picture, but it doesn't mean that they're still seeing James. They're seeing a character. And, and the whole reason I use mannequins is a similar thing. You can apply yourself as the viewer onto this soulless, faceless, lifeless being that I have inserted into a picture because you may feel the same emotion that this mannequin is emoting right now. And that sounds funky, but, you know, I love giving an audience the chance to see themselves in the work and experience it that way, because it may give them a different vantage point to what life is around them. It's sometimes I look at these and again, I, I think about things I probably shouldn't, um, but the Amish make dolls for their children. The dolls have no faces mm -hmm. and they can be anything. And to me, that was always a perfect doll. I loved, I loved those kinds of rag dolls that didn't have a face because then I can make it anything I wanted. It could be 
my enemy, my best friend. It can be all kinds of things, but it gave me the opportunity to 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 be me or or project my feelings. When you people look at art, it should even if it's just a pretty picture, it should spark some kind of emotion. Ennui is just as good as like, oh my God, I'm outraged, which to me, they're out exactly the same. Um, it, should, it should start a dialogue. Um, I have several works of Michael Childers. And sometimes he pushed the edge. You know, I don't have much of Tom of Finland, but I have, you know, I do have some of Michael's and some other people's works. And people look at them and they, you know, it's like, is that really what it is? And what do you think it is? Tell me what you think it is, and then we'll figure it out. And what I also like about your, your work in, in this new series, why are you offended? Can you tell me why? And then can I can I either tell you, you know, I, can I give you my opinion as to maybe we should think of it a different way? That, to me, is the greatest thing about art. It, if it provokes a response which in turn sparks a dialogue. Yes. And you have a connection. And I don't art, have to love you. you know? art, art should be a conversation. We should, you know, it's giving us topics. It's giving us, even if it's just a pretty picture, let's discuss why it's a pretty picture and why that gives us an emotional response to a pretty picture. There's so much that we can do when we look at art and just spend some time with it. This one is Ghosts of Japantown. Uh, when I'm in San Jose, we live in Japantown. And uh, that is Jeff. He is the world's greatest photographic assistant and supermodel of the world in training. Um, and I had been wanting to capture that Shanghai neon forever. And we had a Sunday evening that it drizzled some rain and I knew what it was going to do to the streets. And it was a Sunday night. So I knew the streets would be empty. And I raced down there to try to capture this image. Well, Jeff being Jeff, I really appreciated that unbeknownst to me, he leashed up the dogs and decided to insert some subject matter into my picture. And it created this image that got honorable mention that'll be showing in Barcelona in December um, as part of the Pollux Awards at Photo Nostrum. So, you know, my original vision of this was just an empty street scene. But because of someone strolling through, it suddenly gave even more meaning to it. And I love that those chances happen. This is the kind of thing that you can look at and go, okay, it's just a photo. It's what am I supposed to be looking at? And the interesting thing is my eye was never drawn to the Shanghai sign. I got drawn to the, to the fuzzed out that the blurred image of a, of a solitary figure with the dogs. I didn't know at the time, I know now who it is, but I didn't know then, but that was to me where my eye went. You know, the rest of it was just window dressing to, to a figure, you know, and then, then in, you think about these things, when you look at them, it's like, is he happy? Is he sad? I mean, where is he going? What's he doing? You can make up a whole story and have it be different every single day. You know, yeah. like, and, and the Shanghai sign was like, yeah, it's just there. It wasn't what pulled me in. 
And it's in, and again, someone's going to say, well, it's not in the center of the photo. Your eye isn't blah, blah, blah. blah. It's like, it. <laughs> why should it be in the center of the photo? Why should he be lit up? Why should, why can't it be just what it is? You know, you've got the blur of the lights. You've got the sensation of rain. You've got two things going here. It can be a sensation of cleanliness, you know, Wayne re washes away so many sins, or is it an image of loneliness? It's, it's kind of, to me, what makes art really interesting and why sometimes it pays to be a fly on the wall when people are looking at your work and they see something well, you didn't see. Well, and, and, and it's interesting you say that piece because when I'm teaching and we do a critique of the work when it's turned in, I don't let the students speak first. I want to hear what the audience has to say, and I want the artist to hear that. And I am the same way. I would prefer if I'm in a show, come see my work and then read my statement. Because I would like the conversation afterwards to be about what did you see? Did my intentions come through as I hoped they did? And I think that's very important because too many times, you, you mentioned this earlier, right? We're, we're told what to think about art. We're told that this is this picture. And as soon as you do that, you have tainted the impression of the viewer to that. And I think it's more powerful if we can hear what the viewer thinks before we tell them what our intentions were. But I also feel too that many people are afraid to have an opinion on art. Like they don't feel if they've studied art history or if they haven't taken an appreciation class or if they haven't done any of these things that they can't have an opinion on art. And that's just BS because I have students that are not art students and I start my class with what I call a cold open and I share two to three images as everyone's filling into class. And what do you see? What do you feel? What's the emotion that this may trigger? And we start this simple little conversation with these students that haven't been taught all of the language to use when looking at art. And suddenly that appreciation starts to become natural to them. It's not forced. And opinions are genuine and real. And they will develop and change as they get to see more and understand what's behind the art. So. I think I love that. And I'll go back. I loved having my gallery and I loved it when I used to show my art and, and I would hide because I'm like deep down inside. I think I'm shy. No one else seems to think it, but I believe I am shy. So I would, you, you, you'd hang back and you'd hear and listen to what people would say. And it was sometimes it was, it was eye opening because people saw things in your writing or in your images that you never saw. And then you look at your own work differently. Um, it, or you'd meet, or you'd hear somebody talk and you're like, oh my God, I remember creating a piece and hearing this woman talk about it. Like she got everything I was trying to say. And I was so excited. I gave it to her. I mean, like no one else was going to look at this and appreciate it and understand more than her. It belonged. It, it needed to go home with her. It needed to be hers. There's, and this is why when I started doing Colliding Worlds a long time ago, part of it was to make people understand that there's nothing scary about going to a gallery. There's nothing scary about going to an art museum. There's nothing scary about looking at something and going, I don't get it. 
um, Desert X, they have every every whatever every couple of years in the desert is is major art installations, and there was one called Sandbox. I yep. don't know if you remember it. It was a sandbox with trash in it, and people were like, "What?" You know, this I is like driving here for this. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when you're driving along the road, and the sign says "Baby Rattlers," and you get there, and you think you're going to see snakes, and it's a bunch of little baby rattles in a in a cage. You know, did mm -hmm. I really go 20 miles out of my way to see this? But it got you there, and it got you to think. It, it's it, it was it's interesting how people, and it's okay not to like something. Absolutely, and and it's okay. I mean, and, and and it's good to spark the conversation. And I agree with you. Sometimes an artist statement, you will get people who will mirror back because oh well, the artist said I should be seeing this, and I don't see it. It's the emperor's new clothes. I don't see it, but I will yeah. say to you that I do. And mm -hmm. that's not, and, and that's that's a disservice not just to the piece of work, but it's a disservice to the artist when you are afraid as a viewer, as a participant, because now you're no longer a participant, you're no longer involved in the conversation, and that is sad. Well, and I think we as a society have made access to art hard, like no one has. What everybody wants to think, you know, that they're savvy about life. And then let's go to an art gallery. And like what you were saying, they may not understand it. They may not know about it until they talk to the artists and those sorts of things. But what happens if you just go in and experience it? But I think, you know, institutionally, many have put this barrier up that too many in society are kept from being able to access. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I kind of do what I do. You know, I got accused of not being fine art. Well, who are you to accuse me of not being fine art? Um, well, when someone can hang the toilet, the toilet seat on the wall, and that's fine art, you know, it, it, it's art has always been very subjective and, it, it's not it's not just the eye of the beholder it's it's something more i know that sometimes to your point you people go into galleries they're afraid bring somebody into a piece of uh, into a gallery or a museum where it's either performance based or participation is required um, mm -hmm. i remember being in amsterdam and you know going through the museums and one of the um, exhibitions actually required you to get down on your hands and knees and crawl through and experience being in the tank so to speak. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I, my ex-husband was really hesitant to do it. He did it the first time and he got out. And, it, and if you remember, Mark, he scratched his head and he thought about it and he went back and did it two more times because he didn't get it the first time. He felt something the second time and the third time it sort of sunk into him as to what he thought he got out of it. And that was a a great experience. People go to museums, they sit on chairs and they stare at the same painting for days and hours and come back time and time and time again. Why? Because they see something different each and every time. And this is what's kind of cool about what you do. Again, it's like staring at it, but there's so much more going on. Whether you intended it or not, I'm seeing it. That's just you know, the way it goes. And it's this was 
<laughs> it's the same thing here. Let's, you know, let, let's talk about, since my show is all about black magic, let's talk about tarot cards. Oh my gosh, me being judgy. <laughs> I love it. So, this, so, so it, Madam B's tarot readings is, I work in series. I get an idea that builds on to something else. My um, advancement to candidacy for my MFA was Portrait of a Teller's Fortune. And it was a piece of what was um, a 10 minute short horror film that I created and did as an installation so that you were transported to the sideshow at the circus, but it felt like you were in a 70s cinema. And one of the characters in there was Madame B, the tarot reader. And there was a tarot card reading that occurred. And this developed out of that. And so with the tarot cards, I did all of this research. And tarot, um, in the Renaissance era, is where the history kind of starts for tarot cards. And they weren't mystical at this point. They were just a parlor game. And they would be commissioned by the wealthy families of Italy so that they'd have their own deck of cards. And as we know, with um, commissioned work in the Renaissance, you appeared as the benefactor in the faces of the cards. Then if you jump forward, to the 1940s when the writer the writer deck came about um all the faces are the same so that tie back to the origins was still happening it's like every face looked the same there was also something interesting i noticed with the current deck the genders are non-gendered mm -hmm. so when you look at them typically you don't see breasts you don't see genitalia except in um not the world the lovers the lovers where there's where there's an adam and eve-esque setup with a higher being looking down from above but this again was perfect campiness for me to put myself into these images and play the judgy drag queen and you know we had lost uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I wanted to play a little bit of an homage to that. But I also wanted to make some commentary that justice always isn't balanced. And a lot of people miss the fact that this highly respected individual is tilting the scales. And this is not me saying that she did that. But it is me making a commentary that our justice system isn't always balanced. Well, um, justice is not blind, and that's and and that's 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 evident in in any any place in history. The judge, you know, it's just not. And this, the the I always like their finger on the. I'm pointing like someone can see this. Her finger on the, <laughs> on the scale, tipping it, and and and, but in a, in an odd way, that's what her function was was to was to tip the scales, whether mm -hmm. you felt that that was right or wrong was irrelevant because she was doing what somebody appointed her to do. Yeah. Um, 
and and, and so, that's where that's that's why I say you look you have to look at these images and just not go oh cool this is a tarot card oh that looks like Ruth yeah I love those shoes no you keep, keep looking because it's it's all these little things that add up to something bigger and and I you know that's that's where that's where I think you shine. Um, Thank you. And I don't have to say that for any other reason other than it's true. You, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to go, okay, this is, you know, I love the hair, the beehive, the whole bit, but what else is going on here? You know, (laughs) wings. are we, are we good or evil? I mean, to me that I saw the wings and I'm like, is this like Lucifer over here? You know, because (laughs) does he come to judge too? Um, well, and, and it is, it's exciting to do this series was so exciting for me because I was having such a blast creating these characters and stepping into these roles. And I had the privilege of meeting with James Leventhal, who's the director at the ICA here in San Jose, who came to my studio and he was jonesing on the tarot. He couldn't get enough of it because it pushes a boundary and he talked about how there is a niche that this fills and there's an audience that is drawn to this sort of art and that felt good it felt um like a affirmation that i did something right but then you know judgment ends up being in a public art display in barcelona in their subway system where they had switched out the ads for art and so I got to be one of, you know, I think 900 artists that were a part of that, which was exciting. This is an installation shot of my show, um, Madam B's Tarot Readings. And so the setup of this is that the images, the two images you've shown of the tarot cards, at this point in time, I have completed, I believe, 21 of the deck. I will complete the whole deck. It is an ongoing project, but I projected onto three floating screens your tarot reading. So as you stepped up to Madame B's table in her parlor, it would deal a new reading. And it was so much fun creating this sort of interactive, immersive experience that people forgot they had stepped into a gallery. I had altered this, the, the space so it no longer felt like a white cube. I was using projection, which was something new for me, instead of monitors, because I needed something lightweight. So I had to make screens that could float, which meant I couldn't use heavy, you know, 20, 30, 40 pound monitors. Um, it was it was a challenge to pull this together, but I am so proud of this installation and I look forward to it showing again somewhere. And as I complete more of the tarot deck, it will end up being part of the projections too. That's cool. I always I always loved installation art. And, and when I had the gallery, I had one room that we set aside for that because they're hard for a gallery to install and show because they take up space and require people to be involved with it. And that's, I had that space specifically set up for that because there's something about that immersive experience that um, I think is, I think it's something everybody should experience. I remember going to 
the um the art fair in Palm Springs one year and I've forgotten the artist's name and I interviewed her, but she had like a baby ward, a maternity hospital. She had the baby dolls that look very real. It was interesting to watch people interact with these dolls. Women picked up the dolls and held them like they were precious little babies. Guys picked them up by their feet and flung them around. It was it was interesting to watch how people interact, but it was it was definitely um, an experience. And I think this is kind of I have here a let's see if I can show this. Um, oh, maybe not. Um, I had the video of um, the installation in, in Barcelona, but let's talk about that because these these are part of a a large scale. You've done multiple installations, um, which, if, again, a lot of artists will shy away from art in public places because there's there's some kind of weird taint to having art in public places. But you've done multiple, you know, multiple um, exhibitions like this. What fascinates you about them, and why it, do you keep doing it? <laughs> well, it's funny because I I actually don't ever really see my art as public art. <laughs> Because because of its kind of, you know, risque is the wrong word, but the provocative, okay, challenging, we'll run with, we'll <laughs> with that one. <laughs> but, but, you know, I live in Japantown when I'm in San Jose and I love experiencing cultures and, and, and learning their histories and learning their ways of life. And one of the most beautiful photos I ever captured was at one of the Oban festivals that happened in the summertime. And I capture this beautiful kimono with a red obi, and it's lovely. And then I'm asked to, uh, I was asked for it to be a part of an installation mural that was going in, in Japantown. So the city of San Jose was putting together, they were basically wrapping construction fencing. So you couldn't see the construction that was going on behind it. And they wanted art there. And they wanted it to be associated with Japantown. And so here, this person gets requested for the use. And I'm like, I love this. So I don't do art thinking on the front end. It's going to be public. Just it, I'm sorry, Judgment was a part of Expo Metro's uh, art billboards that went into the Paseg de Gracia in downtown Barcelona. I, when I made Judgment, I was making it because I was doing a tarot card series. It wasn't because I'm thinking, oh, let's let this be in public. And at the same time that that was going on, this image is from Photonostrum. Photonostrum, their director was one of the curators and judges for the Pollux Awards, the 19th Pollux Awards. And it was interesting because I was invited to their gallery to show with other artists. And I'm like, how did they find me? And it was flattering. But once this introduction started, that curator apparently looked through and decided several of my images deserved honorable mention because I wasn't putting myself out. Like I mentioned, this last year has been crazy with trying to finish the degree, all of the stuff that we're doing to get rolling on a new gallery, you know, me getting to teach. 
all of these things were happening and I was getting these awards and it was just like, okay, take a breath. But being able to be asked to show in a gallery like that is flattering. And I felt it an honor. Um, and that happened in June and it was corresponding at the same time that I'm in this public show in the subway. But again, I never think about sub like public art with mine. I think, you know, murals, paintings, <laughs> statuary, you know, those kinds of things. I don't, I don't immediately go to the photograph being public art, but there are other curators that run that way. And I'm pleased with it because it gives me an opportunity to be seen in a public setting and gives a different audience to my work. But I can tell you, I don't ever think public art when I'm making something. I think it's too I, limiting for me. <laughs> I think when you, I think when you try to take a creative person and force them into a box, they lose something. You know, it's like, oh, they're 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 only this and they're only that, and oh my God, they did something outside of that. It's like you know, crime against nature. No, no, go back, go back and do what you did. Um, I remember interviewing William Wiley and we had, we were fortunate to go to a studio and he was known for his particular style of art. And they had just done a retrospective of his work and the work he showed my, my camera, my man and myself was completely, it was so far from what he had ever done before. And his biggest concern was people were going to go, Oh no. And it shouldn't be that way you should be constantly evolving you're constantly evolving it's and the funny thing about james is he's out there being himself it, it's he posts when he's getting ready to go to school and you see what kind of cool shoes he's wearing and what outfit he's wearing and what bow tie he may or may not have but he's but there's one thing about james is that james is never it doesn't ever seem to be anybody else but himself and and that can be whether you're going to play judgment and look like, you know, damn, what was it? Damn, um, what was her name? Um, oh, Dame something or other, you know, the, the British Edna, Dame Edna. Oh, Dame Edna. Yes. Yeah. Or you're going to be Ginsburg. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're still ultimately, you're always true to yourself. And there's, there were so many more images I wish we could show, but I just wasn't able to do it. Do you do you, now? Now we get to the business aspect of it. Do you sell your art? Yes, I do. Or you just, or you just keep it in, in the in the in the barn and hope that. <laughs> no, no. In fact, it, it, this is something. It's interesting because I recognize. I think my business background tells me that I can't do my art if I don't have income, because it needs to self fund. I I am not going to lose a lifestyle I have become accustomed to if it means that it's going nowhere. And so with this last year, it's been amazing the exposure that I've gotten being in the shows, being in the public art, having my thesis show, you know, all of these sorts of things. But yeah, I do sell my stuff. I, it, you know, I, interestingly, the tarot cards, because of the audience that I know that is drawn to this right now, I created trading cards. And so for a very low introduction to art collecting, 
Madam B's tarot readings cost $10. So people that were coming to the gallery to see the installation on the way out were able to pay $10 and get a tarot reading that would have three different trading cards and some of them had stickers the metallic type sticker in there is the the special you know surprise for every so many packs and and it was very fun that people were truly getting into this and those that were purchasing them would pull them out and recognize oh my god it really is a reading some are right side up some are upside down so they made sure that they placed it the way it was supposed to be so knowing my audience so I also, you know, the there was a neon sign that I created. I Jeff Koons did, I say, because I designed it and then I had somebody else build it because God knows I'm not blowing glass. So oh, no, I do not recommend it. I've tried it. No, don't do it. No. <laughs> so 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 there's art pieces like that that aren't necessarily a photograph that I have that are for sale. Um, all of my art images are available um but usually i'm careful about making the prints i just don't want to be cranking out print after print after print and i want to make sure that i'm finding the right audience for these so it, it's i used to think when you created something and you and some it it went away, you know, you, you birthed it. Now it's got to have a life of its own, but you always want it to go to a good home. Um, photography runs an interesting issue because you can, especially now with, you can make a digital print and it looks just as good as the first as, a, as the third, where if you were doing a print, you know, they were numbered for a reason because print number one looked so much better than print number 50. Those, those are kind of gone. And, and I, I've seen artists shoot themselves in the foot by taking an image and I can buy it anywhere. There's nothing, there's nothing special about it. Now it's become fungible. It's now become a pretty picture. It's mm -hmm. just it's something I like things that are original or unique or limited because it's special and, and yeah, okay. Maybe it's hoarding. I don't know, but it still makes it unique and special. So if, if somebody wanted to find something of yours, where do they go? Do they hunt you down and, you know, sit camp out on your doorstep and hope that Porter doesn't come up and lick them and go, I love you. <laughs> so I do have a website. It's jameswilliammore.com. I can't make it any easier than that. Um, <laughs> and there, there you can see all of my portfolios that I have available for public consumption. Um, because some of the stuff I do, you can't see on Facebook and Instagram and the others. And so having my own website allows me to show all of the work. Um, and from there, I have a shop. And in the shop, I have Madam B's tarot cards, uh, the trading card sets. I have different prints that I have made through the years that I have available. Um, right now, I've started because galleries are showing my work i do need to print because like with photo nostrum in barcelona they are a classic photograph sort of gallery so i need prints for them so i had to go through that whole effort of figuring out what size how many in the edition mm -hmm. what 
is the finish? Do I do them mounted or framed? All of that sort of stuff. And then that got me, especially with the tarot cards, the tarot cards I'm actually printing on reflective metal. Cool. So I, I love, I love that, metal. Well, and the thing that I loved about this is that everything that I do with my art, I want the audience to feel like they're in it. Like they can put themselves into my character, into Madam B, the mannequin. But with the tarot cards, having it be reflective, there's that mirror image of yourself. So you're suddenly seeing yourself in the art. And I love that sort of feature. And, you know, some may see it as gimmicky and that's fine, but it it's an intention that I'm hoping for. And there's an audience that has found it that loves it. So, yeah. That's the way it should be. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting when you, when you get into that business realm of it, I, and I go back with my limited experience. I did a show called I did life of a pinup because in, I started out like you modeling. I mean, it seems like bazillions of years ago, but that, that whole life of it when you start out and I took an image, uh, a swimsuit image that I had and I had fabric made of it and I made a, a christening gown and a hat out of it. And I started with this christening gown and it was, people got up and they look really close and I'm like, Take it for what it is and just, you know, follow, follow the path through. There's so many things that you can do to, to make yourself, a, you know, your art accessible, but it still has to be, you still have to be able to find it. And, you know, no one wants to be the starving artist, you know, with his ear cut off in a bandage and hoping that his brother's going to pay his rent next month. You, 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 you do have to sell it. And there is a business aspect of it. Um, you're, you're teaching now, you're, you're producing this work. You, you've really, it's like all of a sudden you went boom. And it wasn't all of a sudden, this was a long path to get to where you are, but it, it feels it, like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, Everyone, it's interesting because call me blessed, call me lucky, call me any of those things. But I would like to think of myself as someone who plans and works towards goals. I didn't realize that going through getting my degree was going to open the kinds of doors that it did. But I also believe that because of my tenacity to do projects and my ability to present myself to a global audience, that that coupled with that degree allows me to be where I'm at right now. And, and you know, I think I have always, I have social media, good, bad, or indifferent, I use Instagram as a method to show the behind the scenes of my art, to let people know that I have new series, to share those series. And so there's a following that comes from that, an audience that starts to build. And I don't try to, you know, again, marketing background. I want to have a brand. I want that curated image of me that shows up every time you see me on Instagram. All of those things, I think, builds into the attraction to the art that eventually someone may collect a piece. And then as I start to work with these galleries and start to show in these galleries, and there's going to be collectors that are specific to those galleries that may be enticed 
with the visual they see of my work and they may take one to put up in their collection and I would be flattered and honored by that. The last thing I want to do is make myself not accessible. And I think this is something that happens with many artists is that they, they don't keep a website that has this information that they don't keep a social media presence that's been branded you know whether we like kim kardashian or not the woman knows oh she's how to sell mm-hmm. right and 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 it's that sort of branding that has been around forever right we need to understand who we are as artists and make sure that our audience knows who that is and this is where the the business of art comes in. In the old days, and I'm not talking all that long ago, a gallery would take a young artist, and not necessarily young in age, but just an emerging artist, and nurture them. They would. Damon Hurst and Jeff Koontz came up that way. Somebody, somebody said, "Wow, there's something here," and they they took them under their wing. Um, there's a few gallerists that still do that, but that's a rare, rare, rare thing now. Galleries don't function that same way. Um, Damon Hurst at one point did a collection when his studio wasn't helping him, and it was abysmal. And his gallery bought it all to keep his prices at a certain level there was there was there was a lot to lose and a lot to gain there's a business aspect of it now uh, and and again I'm a gallery I was a gallery owner it's very difficult to nurture an artist along there's a lot that goes into it and it's social media be it good bad or indifferent is how people get noticed um, I had one artist who was in my gallery I picked up collectors because she used to post things on Instagram and somebody who was relatively famous saw her work and said, like it, bought it. It started it started a role, it's a word of mouth thing. But there's a business side of it. And marketing, marketing has never been my forte. It's never been, you know, it's like I I I had a showing at a gallery in Palm Desert one time, and the owner of the gallery looked at me and ran across the room and she said to me, would you just go sit over there in that corner and don't talk to anybody? Because I was talking, people were like interested in the work and I'd be like, oh my God, that's like too much money. Maybe they should take it for this. And she's like, sit over there. Don't talk, smile, wave, but don't open your mouth. And she was, oh, but you, it's, it's difficult when you start doing the business because when people start talking money, um, I'm from a generation where you didn't talk money, sex, or politics, and so it, it's hard. But you have to you have to look at this at that business aspect of it, and that requires marketing. Um, you're you're on the right track. Where it was like you've got the Kardashians. Did they have they ever created anything? No. no. Have they sold a lot <laughs> of something? Yes. Yes. You know, when, and, and I'm like, wow, how? Because they have a marketing, you know. A marketing program that's just unbeatable. And- well, I think this is something that artists struggle with, right? Because we're expected to make art. We're also expected to write about our art. We're also expected to market our art. We need to make our website. We need to do our social media. We need to do all of these things. How many artists are experts in all of those things? I'm unusual that I come with a business background. So I got the business side down. I can do my accounting. I can do my taxes. I know how to budget. I can project manage. I can do all those things. That's fine. 
but marketing may not be my forte. And so I call on others to assist with that. And I'm very lucky that Jeff comes with a background in marketing. And so, you know, the two of us, as we move into the next stage, we're these not only, you know, husbands, spouses, partners, we're business partners. We're, you know, I bring to the table curatorial sense, artistic background, art history. He brings the idea of advertising, marketing, you know, that whole branding idea that this way, not one of us expected to do everything because we can't. And and that's the hard thing. It's like you try so hard to do everything. And I think one of the things that I, I, I hope gets imparted with your classes is that there there's this is a business. I was I was a lawyer and I would see I worked a lot in the Angela. Boom. I don't know what that was. I worked a lot in the music and you would meet these young artists and try to explain to them that, you know, an advance is not a gift from God. You've got to do something with it. Uh, I worked with people who did IPOs. I'm like, that's great. You're bringing all this money. You still gotta, you still gotta make something. And it's, it's very difficult. Um, my problem is as the artist, I see the creativity. I don't want to think about some of the other stuff. John, my other half is like, it's not profitable. What are you doing? It's like, and then you get crushed and your dreams are hurt and you're, you pout a while and something <laughs> else. I mean, you know, I've got the pout perfected, but you know, you need, you need to have that balance. And that is something that that's the other thing that's very unique about you is that you understand that there's two sides to the brain and they have to work together to make this work. You've, you're gaining momentum every day and with that comes success and with success comes one more thing you have to do um and I hope when you teach that that comes across to your students that it's just you're not sitting in an ivory tower going today i'm going to create my masterpiece and i hope yeah. to god that somebody finds it it doesn't no, work that it, way it, yeah it doesn't work that way i also recognize too that with all of the success I have seen this last year plus that I have to write on this. I have to make sure that I parlay that into a long running experience of my art, because if it's just a flash in the pan, I'm done, but, but I'm not, not done. But I'm you're not, not done. In, in, in the time <laughs> that I have known you, I've watched some of these projects evolve and I watched it like when I was you know trying to get, I decided to, take shrink my studio and so i was like okay and i had these things and i, I used them and i tried but it's like okay now i'm getting too scattered because my my attention span of a flea is like Phew, okay i've learned how to do this let's move on did that let's move on let's try something else and you become you become a prisoner of your own work and you yep. can't see past it it's like i gotta move forward i've got to move forward you move from project to project but there's there's a trajectory of growth there's a trajectory of of just pushing a little further i don't think you've pushed it as far as you can i think there's a lot more there i think you have a lot to say um because there's another thing people think artists are dumb 
you know, like, you know, they, you know, how many times it's like, you know, they're, um, yeah, like they're drinking coffee out of their paintbrush water, you know, no, there's not, there's, and there's an intelligence that comes in, into your art that doesn't necessarily require someone to have a PhD or a master's in fine art. They just have to be able to open their eyes and catch and catch all that goes on to it. I've, I love watching what you do. And I am going to take a class with you if I have to move to freaking San Jose, which I don't want to do, but because I feel like there's something to be gained from someone like you. You've Thank always you. been, you, you've been generous with your opinion. You're generous with your art. You're generous in, in what you do. It's like you're, you're not holding back that, that last little piece. You know, it's like, I'm going to take you to the recipe, but I'm really not going to tell you what that final ingredient is. You're all on your own. I mean, there's, there's no, nothing to be gained from that. And there's no guile in that. And that's what I think is, and I think that's great. I, they were images I would love to show. There were a few and I'm like, I'm like, I don't have an issue with it. I've done, I, I don't know if we did the dirty laundry show where we hung all kinds of things up. Um, people were offended and I'm like, as my mother would say, the door swings both ways. Don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. Just, yeah, you know, no. <laughs> um, we need that. And I, I, I think that you are, you are on the bubble of just going. And I want to be able to say, I knew him when. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to take that and run with it. And I have enjoyed this ride that I've been on. It's been amazing. And I, I love the experiences that I have gained from, you know, individuals like yourself that we have these conversations. So we've had these offline, like we'd sit on the driveway and chat. And that's the thing is that as long as we can keep these conversations going, I think that's, what's going to keep that buzz going. And my job is to bring people like you to other people. And and that's what I want to do. I mean, I think I think that that's that's I think my stride is here, um, and I think your stride is going. I'm going to make a bigger pearl this time. And it's just, <laughs> I think it's going to be great. But I want people to know who you are. I want people to see what you do. I want people to understand that being an artist is just so many things. It's being chief cook and bottle washer. It's being being able to say, I can't do it all by myself. It's, it's being able yeah. to, um, a friend of mine wrote a book, you know, the art of this, you know, and he basically talks about Michael Petrie talks in his book about how he couldn't create his art, but for the help of somebody else. And sometimes you can't create that art, but for other people getting to know who you are and seeing yeah. what you can do. So yeah. keep throwing sand and keep throwing pearls and you hide the mistakes if you want to, but I think the mistakes are, really kind of cool i think it's i think it's always a good evolution and keep teaching because whoever his classes people feel like within the second they open up i tried i tried and it was like i'm sorry this class is get a waiting list okay so we're never getting in and that's that that's a testament to who you are as not just as a teacher as, or an artist, but as a person, because people do not flock to classes like that and wait and hope that they get in. So it's really a testament to who you are as a person. And Thank I think you. that's, that's much better than even being an artist, being recognized for being a, a true 
a true beautiful person. And thank you. I, I, I kind of wish you lived closer because I think we would never get any work done, but that's okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so oh, much no, for well, this today. This has been amazing. Thank you. I, I've, I've enjoyed every minute. Thank you for your time. Um, keep, t keep pushing whatever you have and I will put it out as best I can. And you can come back anytime, even if you just want to go, you can come back anytime. <laughs> and we can I look forward Trust me, to this it. Is, this is what the conversations in my driveway were like. This is not anything <laughs> new. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. And sometimes we, and we did not look this good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thank God for a messy bun. <laughs> I don't know. No, we're going to go. I'm going to let this man get home with his day. I'm going to go find my other half of my dogs. I think they've abandoned me. James, thank you so much. Thank you so much for it's being part of Colliding Worlds. And my pleasure. It's been a treat. Thank you. And we'll be back. This is Angela Valenti Romeo. That's James William Moore. And catch him if you can, but definitely go to the website. Watch him because he is really not finished saying all that he has to say. And so if his work makes you a little uncomfortable, hey, get over it. Have a good day. This is Colliding Worlds. Colliding Worlds is sponsored in part by Always Here, now streaming on Amazon Prime, starring Jody Littman, Angela Romeo, and Steve Ciceron. Always Here. Some say the rules are made by the future, but in the LaFleur home, the past controls the future. Join them and the entire cast of Always Here. After all, a mother's love is forever. Now streaming on Amazon Prime.